Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast, produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health-related products, services, tools, and resources. are recording. I am here today with my friend Jacqueline Downs. Hey Jacqueline, how are you doing? Hey Michael, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I always enjoy whenever we get to connect. So, um, and we're going to talk about functional fertility today and unresolved and unexplained infertility and, and things that people might not realize are going on when they're having trouble conceiving or having hormonal issues that are leading to infertility. So, uh, before we get started, though, I want to introduce Jacqueline. She works with clients and practitioners to determine root causes of hormone imbalance and create personalized plans of action based on genetics, health history, diet, lifestyle, and biochemistry. And she is the, also the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Solving Unexplained Infertility, Your 12-Week Functional Fertility Plan, which I've been kind of behind the scenes watching that come to fruition, so I'm excited to see... Um, Excited to see the new steps going along and can't wait for it to be out. Me too. <laughs> Me too. It's been a long yeah, process. I'm sure. It's, I know it goes into writing a book and uh, a lot of people have tried to convince me to do it and I haven't been brave enough yet. So kudos to you. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited because I've, I've gotten really good feedback from all the beta readers. So um, I have yeah. I have high hopes for it. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. And just... Judging by how much infertility we're seeing today, we can use all the resources out there we can get. So mm-hmm. um, I guess we're going to start off with a pretty simple question. In, in your, your business and your, your Facebook and your Instagram, your website is Functional Fertility Solutions, and the name of your book involves the term functional fertility. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, how would you define functional fertility? I define... What does that mean? Functional fertility uh, as identifying and addressing root causes of reproductive imbalances through improving nutrition, detoxification ability, lifestyle, uh, and emotional wellness, all of which support optimal genetic expression and cellular function. Uh, Most um, fertility treatments and protocols these days just involve forcing hormones into certain levels to achieve pregnancy but they're not getting to the root cause of why the hormones are out of balance in the first place. And so my book uh, describes a lot of different reasons uh, or root causes for uh, hormone imbalances. And and really it it comes down to cellular health because the eggs and the sperm are cells and they are the most vulnerable to oxidative stress, um, especially the mitochondria. And if the mitochondria for if you just uh, a little, you know, science lesson, they're the little powerhouses of the cells that generate ATP. And it is the only the mother that passes on the mitochondrial DNA to her baby. And so we want to make sure that the mom has optimal functioning mitochondria. And if the body is not producing energy well enough for her, her own needs, it's going to know that now is not a good time to Uh, We don't have enough energy to grow a baby, make and grow a baby. So protecting the mitochondria is super important. That makes sense. And uh, 
I was fascinated when I learned that, that the mitochondrial DNA only comes from the mother. A lot of things are shared in the genetics and that is one that is not. So that's like a huge important point for mom. And yeah, when I, when I first learned, started learning all this stuff around functional medicine and natural health and hormones and such, I realized that um, infertility, both with women and men is kind of the body's response to them living in an unsafe or unfit for a child kind of environment or way, right? Like, it's like, this is not a good place for a baby. So we're going to turn off your ability to do that. Right. Is that that's oversimplified, but that's kind of um, nature's way of saying, this is not a place for a child or a time for a child or an environment for a child or anything like that. And then I thought, they do tons of these infertility treatments that are like uh, in vitro, uh, the IVF stuff, or the, like you said, forced hormones and all these kind of things. And I was like, is it, is it really a good idea to be overriding uh, nature's, um, you know, warnings? It's like turning off the the light on the car that says your oil is not going to work. And then you just keep driving and drive faster Mm -hmm. um are there consequences to that like I, I don't know any statistics or anything but um are the pregnancies that are achieved via these ivf and the hormones and all these kind of kind of forced medical ways are there more issues there than with pregnancies that are not done yes. that way i actually um have references to PubMed articles on this with assisted reproductive technologies. That's kind of the whole field of it. You can call it ART. That's the term for all of those yeah. things. Okay. Yeah. Um, the statistics show that there is a higher incidence of learning disorders and autism and, and childhood, you know, allergies and that kind of stuff, because yeah, you didn't address the, the health of the mother and you can't pour from an empty cup too. So um, you can achieve the pregnancy, but statistics show that um, ART results in um, uh, children with higher needs. Um, not okay. not all of them. And I guess I didn't word that correctly. No, 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 but, no, no, no. Yeah, but a higher percentage versus non-ART pregnancies right. are going to have some sort of higher need or health issue. And and you named a few there. And I would guess if they studied more of them, they'd find more correlations too. Like I'm not gonna. Um, put words in anybody's mouth, but I'm sure that not every different type of uh, condition or disability or thing has been studied. But I always wonder that I'm like, man, because you know, the it's like yeah, turning off the warning light and then putting the baby in there and then being like, okay, go keep doing the same things you were doing, and then carry this baby the whole time that you're doing the same things you were doing. And so it always just, once I learned this stuff, it just didn't sit well. I was like, that probably isn't the best idea. And so, um, but a lot of women, and I'm not trying to blame anybody out there. So if anybody hears this, it's not my intention at all, because a lot of people don't even know that there's another way. Like most uh, women or couples, if they go to the doctor and they're having trouble with uh, conceiving a child, that's going to be what's put in front of them, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Just like birth control is the first and only step for, you know, irregular periods and period problems. Yep. Yeah. So 
it's it's not your fault like everybody does the best they can do with what they know and what they have so what we're trying to do today is let them know that there are other ways to resolve these things so functional fertility is yeah like you define kind of a functional medicine approach geared specifically towards fertility and i heard you mention um oxidative stress and that this is what is kind of the the leading factor when it comes to poor cellular health and infertility on that level. Um, people have probably heard of antioxidants. They've probably heard of oxidation to some degree, maybe if they work with metal. Um, what is oxidative stress in the body and how is it relevant to fertility? So oxidative stress, and I state this in my book that my, my aim is to make it a very commonly recognized and understood term because it's, it's, at the heart of all inflammation and chronic disease. So it's not just for fertility that, that oxidative stress is relative to. Um, but oxidative stress is essentially not having enough antioxidants to neutralize the free radicals. And so that um, creates inflammation, which creates oxidative stress and inflammation and oxidative stress feed each other. And that, so oxidative stress damages not only the structural integrity of the cell, but also the information contained within the cell. Interesting. How does it affect information? It uh, affects mitochondrial DNA and the DNA of the okay. nucleus in the cell, and, and it can um, damage DNA. Very short circuits then how it starts reproducing and functioning and working. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's interesting because the DNA is kind of like a blueprint or an instruction manual for a cell and like what it's supposed to be doing. So if that gets damaged, then uh, what it's doing can change. Yes. Yeah. So right. I go into details yeah. in my book about the science of it, about um, unpaired electrons, but I'll save your listeners that nerdiness <laughs> right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can skip the, the hardcore <laughs> science lesson, but so this uh, oxidative stress, um, what are the main sources of it? I mean, I'm sure that's different for everybody, but there's probably some top few that are, I mean, when you really analyze our way of living in our modern life and our culture, I'm sure it's not hard to, to find them, but what would be some of the top of the list of things that contribute to this high level of oxidative stress? The the ones that I see primarily like just over and over repeatedly in my practice uh, would be um, poor liver detoxification. That could be phase one or especially phase two. Um, so, and especially with the toxic soup of a planet that we live in, uh, we really need to be able to have effective detoxification because if you can't detoxify, then you're not going to be able to have hormonal balance because you need to um, detoxify your, your hormones as well, um, as well as the environmental toxins that we have. Um, I'm also seeing iron dysregulation as uh, a big factor. A lot of women are told they're anemic, but they're eating meat and they're taking vitamins. Um, so it's not necessarily a, an iron acquisition issue. It's an iron utilization issue. And there's a lot of genetics that can come into play. Um, but also, measuring a, a complete iron panel as opposed to just your serum iron um, can give you a more complete picture of what's going on and how the iron is being used or where the wrench in the system is. Um, another one that is huge, which so many people seem to have, is poor fat utilization. So fats, you need fats to make hormones. You need to them to make all of your sex hormones and all your stress hormones, as well as to protect your brain and a lot of other functions in the body. 
And so if you are not properly using your fats, you're not going to be able to make those hormones. You won't have the raw materials to make the hormones and some, and I, I've done some videos and and posts um, on Instagram about this. Um, As far as like, if your poop floats, that's a huge sign that you're not digesting your fats well, because the fats are coming out undigested and causing your stool to float. Just like when you make a salad dressing and the oil floats on top. Um, so, um, poor fat utilization, digestion and utilization, uh, iron dysregulation, poor liver detoxification. And, uh, another one that I am seeing so much more of since, um, we can now test for it oftentimes, but really I go by symptoms, um, oftentimes and confirm with a urine organic acid test is oxalate issues. They are way more common than I ever would have even thought until they got on my radar and, um, oxalates are, um, compounds in plants. that are some in some of the healthiest foods like spinach and Swiss chard and beets. Um, but these compounds bind to minerals in the body and they create tiny little jagged crystals and they can be nanoparticle size. They don't have to be actually visual visible to the eye and they, um, can irritate tissue and cause a lot of inflammation, but they also rob the body of sulfur, which you need all your hormones to be sulfated. So, um, and any, and we need sulfation for a lot of things, um, as well. We need to have, uh, the sulfate molecule to take the sun's rays that touch our skin. We need sulfate in order to turn that into vitamin D. So a lot of people could have vitamin D deficiency, uh, because they actually have a sulfate deficiency and that may or may not be because of oxalates, uh, over hyperoxaluria is the the medical term. Interesting. And sulfates uh, in foods come from where? Yeah. Wines and dried fruit are like the two primary sources, but we have, you can get, well, those are sulfites and your sulfite turns into sulfate, which is the molecule that we need. Um, Stephanie Seneff, she's like a triple PhD. She called chat with her once and was jaw on the table most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. She calls sulfate (laughs) the most important molecule you've never heard of. It is used for so many important things and oxalates compete and hijack the sulfate um, in in, in the cell. Sulfate, sulfur in some form. Yes. Yeah. So sulfation is a a, one of your phase two liver detox pathways. So you want to make sure that you have enough sulfate to keep that pathway open, but sulfite uses the SUOX gene and molybdenum and some B vitamins to convert sulfite, which is the not good form into sulfate, which is the, the critical form that we need. Okay. So, um, I know that there's a lot of other like on the rise chronic health issues that probably start to, I mean, everything affects everything. So like what I've noticed in interviewing a lot of people on a lot of topics related to health over the last however many years is that regardless of what um, like niche we're talking about, like today we're talking about fertility. I The last recording I did was with Dr. Jolene Brighton actually talking about perimenopause. And then there was one on psychoneuroimmunology and like mental, emotional health related to inflammation in the body. Um, 
on the broad level, most of the things that cause the problem that we're talking about on the interview or the podcast are relatively similar. And most of the things that solve the problem are relatively similar with um, some specifics that might change for specific problems. So something like mold uh, comes up in every webinar we do now that somebody in the audience is asking questions about mold and mycotoxicity. And I, I honestly, like 10 years ago, when I got in this field, I don't remember hearing about mold very much. And over the last 10 years, it's gone from like this fringy topic of really chronically ill people on the edge of the functional medicine world that kind of nobody knew how to deal with them or help them. And they would have all these wild symptoms to like it's probably the thing that we get asked about the most now on the webinars is mold and mycotoxicity. So that'd be a topic of a whole nother interview as to like what the hell's going on and why is there so much more of it now? But how does something like mold or mycotoxins affect one's fertility? I have a whole entire chapter in my book on that. And um, I just want to rewind real quick. I love, I want to listen to that interview on psychoneuroimmunology because I actually mentioned that in my book and how, you know, it, it, I've, once I learned about that, the, that field, it just put the science to the, the woo-woo kind of, and, and I, yeah. I was really intrigued by it. So I, I discussed that a little I bit. I think it's a plus one for like the longest word in the health industry. <laughs> right? yeah. It's like a 5 million um, point word on Scrabble. Yeah, but it, it definitely encompasses a lot too. So my book definitely talks about yeah. uh, the limbic system and, and you know, the, the nervous system and, and how that interplays into fertility and fertility challenges. But um, mold and mycotoxins, there's, there's numerous ways that that can affect the body. Um, so first off, you have this unwelcome guest that's just in abundance in your body and that stresses out your, your body and puts it in an alarm state. Um, but second, um, <clears throat> mycotoxins, certain mycotoxins, especially like um, Aspergillus niger, uh, produce oxalates in the body. So if you have an overabundance of certain forms of mycotoxins, they're going to actually produce oxalates. And then like we just talked about, that's going to create inflammation and oxidative stress and hijack your sulfate. Um, and also um, that, that affects your estrogen and can lead to things like endometriosis and fibroids um, and, and all the other fun things that estrogen dominance comes with. Um, but also, um, mold stimulates the mast cells to release histamine and histamine and estrogen feed each other. And so that causes estrogen dominance and, um, all of the other symptoms I just mentioned. So it's, it's like a three or four fold, um, whammy, I guess I should say when it comes to mold and mycotoxins affecting your fertility. And then there's some obvious things, you know, like, uh, sleep and circadian, uh, rhythm. I mean, how many, how many women that have come to you with infertility issues, what percentage of them do you think had a high stress life with poor sleep? Uh, the sleep definitely is affected by a lot of things. And, um, I have, um, I'm trying to think me. Yeah. Most of, I would say majority of my clients do not sleep as well as they would like for sure. A large percentage. And I think the ones that do say they sleep relatively well are still probably pretty young in their twenties. Um, so, you know, I'm like, well, that's, that's good. You know, I'm glad that we're addressing these things now before you would have that factor to add in and compound the, the situation. 
I remember sleeping in my teens and 20s when you could like sleep and like a marching band could come through <laughs> yeah. the room and then you would remain sleeping. And now if somebody like three buildings away from me, like turns on their water at three in the morning, yeah. I'm awake. <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of jealous. I remember yeah. you could like people could just walk in the room and walk out and whatever. And yeah. So anybody out there listening that's that young, enjoy your sleep and your pain-free days of not having random strange soreness. Um, I actually have an Instagram post that I'm going to post at some point in time. Um, and I say it in my book that pain that is not structural as you know, with your bones, uh, you want to consider oxalates, um, especially if you have painful sex or um, vulvodynia, which is burning in the vulva area or um, endometriosis or any kind of um, bladder or urinary tract issues. You Why so much now? Like why are oxalates so much of an issue now? Or like, what's the most, like what's most contributing to that? Um, I think leaky gut probably, and not having the good gut bacteria to degrade. There's certain organisms that are responsible for that, right? Yeah. There's, there's an actual strain called oxalobacter formigenes, I believe. And, um, they get wiped out with antibiotics. And I mean, babies are on antibiotics and antibiotics, antibiotics, and they're in our, their animal feed and everything. So, um, that's a pretty big contributing Uh factor, but also, um, just spinach, green drinks, spinach in your smoothies, spinach salads. I say spinach because spinach is the single highest oxalate food. Um, but I don't believe that our bodies were designed to have two handfuls of spinach every day, 365 days a year, regardless of where you live on the planet, um, on top of, um, other, uh, a lot of nuts, um, almonds are really, uh, the highest oxalate nut, but they're still only about half as high as spinach in, in oxalate content. So, um, that combined. So with- somebody's lacking these bugs, if somebody's lacking these bugs and they're eating tons of foods that are pretty high in oxalate, um, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be like a double problem for a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. So what other than spinach, can you throw out a few more that are pretty high up there on the list? Um, the top five, I would say are spinach, Swiss chard beets. That's with the, the beet greens as well. So never in a million years as a nutritionist did I think I would tell somebody to stay away from spring mix, but the more, you know, um, so that, cause that's primarily what's in spring mix. Um, and then, um, rhubarb is really high, but I usually only say rhubarb to like the plain community that does actually eat a lot of rhubarb. Um, I know that like in England, they eat more rhubarb than in the United States, um, but rhubarb is pretty high. And then um, sesame seeds. Um, so a lot of people that eat hummus, hummus is really healthy for you, but it's made with tahini, which is sesame seed paste. So sesame seeds are, are pretty high in oxalates. Um, but if somebody's on a gluten-free diet, I use the caveat with almonds because, you know, you're cutting out the wheat and you're using the almond flour for cookies and muffins and breads and pancakes and all kinds of stuff. So, um, you definitely want to keep that in mind if you're gluten-free to just kind of dial it back a little bit. I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit. It's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations if you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast. A gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now back to your episode. 
Yeah. What would be, um, since this seems like a thing that a lot of people would need to know, not just people with infertility, but um, you mentioned, I said like random soreness or pain. Mm -hmm. uh, are there any other like non-fertility related symptoms of uh, like issues with oxalates? Is it just pain or stiffness? No, it can be skin issues, um, rashes, um, vertigo, because the oxalate crystals can get in the ear canal and kind of throw off um, and, and cause ver vertigo. Um, you can, um, they can get sequestered in your thyroid. There were actually a bunch of autopsies or studies done of autopsies um, in my, maybe like the eighties or something. And um, the older the person was, the more oxalate crystals they had sequestered in their thyroid. So you could have hypothyroid issues, not really having anything to do with the thyroid hormones, which probably is if you have oxalates, then you're going to have hormone imbalances, but it could be because the oxalates are getting sequestered there and affecting the functioning of your thyroid. But sometimes you can't just get like, um, you know, a scan and, and see them because like I said, oxalate crystals can be nano size and it's not until they're super big that you can see them, that it's a really big problem. Um, they can get behind the eyes, which is often why children with autism might like poke their eyes or feel like eye pressure, um, because oxalate crystals can build up around there and you can even get like really gnarly sleepy seeds too. Um, so yeah, it can, it can, um, it can, they can get in the joints and cause joint pain. They can get in the connective tissue and cause fibromyalgia type pain, and they can get in muscles and cause muscle pain. So it's wherever the sulfur sulfate molecule can go, the oxalates um, can catch a ride and compete. And so that's why oxalates are so pervasive and, and there's so many different places in the body that they can affect. The, the um, most documented cause of hyperoxalaria is poor fat utilization. So not only is it gonna, poor fat utilization gonna affect your hormones, but it can increase the predisposition for oxalates aside from genetic predisposition. Um, because if you are not properly digesting your fats then the fats are gonna bind to the minerals instead of the oxalates binding to the minerals and that's gonna let the oxalates run amok in the body. Okay, and that's probably liver, gallbladder, bile related along with microbiome and like the integrity of the, the gut lining. I would yep. guess. Yeah. Yep. And I have, I've done, information I've done enough webinars with Kiran that I, I can recite that one. Yep. Um, cool. Um, so where does somebody start? I mean, like oxidative stress is a pretty broad thing. Mm -hmm. um, what are some like easy, if somebody's just, you know, wanting to do a few things that might kind of shift the needle a little bit in regards to oxidative stress, um, what would, what would be your first starting points that you might recommend to people? And this is not medical advice. We're just giving general, uh, tips. Yes. Um, I would say Pardon. avoiding the insults so that your, your body doesn't have to deal with them. So that's, you know, upgrade your body care products, upgrade your house cleaning products. That way your liver doesn't what do you have, mean by that? Like stuff that doesn't have chemicals, like toxic yeah, chemicals in it? Yeah, the phthalates and, and the sulfites and the BPA and um, just every other VOC and all kinds of other toxins that we have in our environment today. Because if our liver's trying to deal with that stuff, then it's going to put its own endogenously produced hormones on the back burner because it wants to get rid of the more foreign toxic stuff. 
toxins. Um, so avoiding the toxin, getting the client away from the toxin is number one. So we talk all about, you know, what sort of water are you drinking and what are, what are you drinking out of? And, um, you know, what percentage of your food is organic and what are your cleaning products? Like, what are your body care products? Like, um, all that kind of, uh, environment and lifestyle stuff. Um, because clients could come to me and I could give them a, a hormone test. I love the Dutch test, uh, but I don't do that right off the bat because there's so many other factors that affect hormone balance that I'm not going to get. I mean, of course they're going to have uh, a Dutch test that shows imbalanced hormones. So if we can get rid of some of the low, um, you know, the low hanging fruit with just, you know, cleaning up your diet, your, your environment, that kind of stuff, then we can get a true baseline of what's going on with the hormones. So it's so generally a few months in a cleaner environment, excuse me. So give it like a few months in a cleaner environment before running yep. the test. Yep. Yeah. And then, um, as far as detoxification goes, going from a bottoms up approach. So you want to make sure that you are having at least one bowel movement every single day, because a lot of people just decide, especially in January, I'm going to do a liver cleanse. And then they go and they get all these herbs for their liver. But if they're not eliminating every day, then the liver is going to push out all those toxins and they're just going to get recirculated and in, back into the body. And um, that's not solving anything. So step one is to make sure that channels of elimination are open, which you can even do with a, a, a drainage kit or detox kit. I like the Picano one. Um, make sure you're pooping. And then you can move on to what is called phase 2.5. And that's the whole liver gallbladder bile flow to make sure that um, the toxins are going to be escorted out of the liver and into the gut so that they can be excreted. Um, and then you can work on um, knowing which toxin you're dealing with, whether it's a specific mycotoxin or an environmental toxin. Um, it's, it's really helpful because then you can know which phase two liver detox pathway you really want to support. So a lot of functional medicine doctors are saying, oh, you have mycotoxins. Let's just give you some glutathione and you'll be good. But um, actually glutathione, um, there's two mycotoxins, aflatoxin um, A1, uh, ochratoxin A and aflatoxin B1 are primarily cleared through the glutathione pathway, glutathione conjugation pathway. But so many more mycotoxins are cleared through the glucuronidation pathway. So knowing which toxin you're dealing with can really help you to get precise in um, the method of detoxification that you want. And that's, I'm going to give that credit to Dr. Neil Nathan, Beth O'Hara, and uh, my colleague, Emily Givler, because they really did a deep dive into the research. So then you can um, use that with genetics too, because maybe you have- genetic predispositions in your glutathione conjugation pathway or your glucuronidation pathway that might need a little extra support. So that's where knowing the genetics can really give the practitioner uh, a one-up advantage. And so I, that's one thing that I do is I don't just work with clients, but I also work with practitioners. And if they want to come to me to help interpret their client's genetics, that's, um, I offer that as well to practitioners. Very cool. And, um, Okay. So there was a lot though, removing it's, it's basically removing the things that are causing the harm as much as it is adding anything out or, or adding anything in or doing more. Uh, that was one thing I was really caught off guard when I moved over here to Italy, everything is like really highly scented. Like I had to, it was very difficult to find any sort of like soap or shampoo or laundry detergent or cleaning products or dish soap or anything that does not sound like 
a Glade plug-in bomb went off or smell like a Glade plug-in bomb went off in my house and like everything everywhere is like really highly scented and we use like unscented anything and don't use any of that stuff so I was like there was a week period where I felt like I was just immersed in like Tide Pods or something so that was like get this crap out of here so all of its lovely scented things um there's stuff that makes it smell like that that your body doesn't like so endocrine um, disrupting chemicals for sure yeah and it's super offensive when you haven't been around it for like years to be dropped into it it was just like oh all this stuff needs to go in the trash and get out of my house immediately well there's people that so physically get sick from it with multiple chemical sensitivities like they can't physically handle it like canaries for everybody else um because like just because i didn't get sick doesn't mean my body likes it either right it's just um i was just shocked by it i've been so far removed from that for so long so um okay that sounds like a lot where people could start to do so i know you've been writing this book for quite a while and judging by your responses in this interview it's pretty thorough because almost everything we brought up uh is in the book what's the what's the status how long are we looking and uh when could people expect to maybe see it? I am just about finished with my side of things and I am starting to look for a a publishing company or I may entertain self-publishing. So really, however long that process takes. So I would hope by the end of summer, um, this will be out, but you can um, follow me on Instagram at Functional Fertility Solutions, um, or you can sign up for any uh, pre-sale info or info about the book um, at my website at uh, functionalfertilitysolutions.com. I do just want to say that the book is for two demographics, actually, which I know is a big no-no in the marketing world, um, but it's, um, it's got a lot of appendices. So it's written for the person that wants to understand why they may have have fertility challenges, but the the hows and the whys and the genetics and the biochemical pathways are all like, hey, if you want to learn more about this, you know, reference appendix X, um, and you can really get into the the practitioner side or the real nerdy side of things to understand it much more comprehensively. That's pretty clever. I wondered how you were going to do that because yeah, yeah. that's like a big, and not, not only just writing books, but like when I put out any sort of content or do any sort of thing, I get reprimanded immediately. If there's, if it's not honed in on like one exact super honed in like avatar of a person where, mm-hmm. um, you know, what you might, what practitioners might be looking for in the book and what you know, a woman who's struggling with fertility and is not a health practitioner looking for would be completely different. So that's a really clever way to do that without writing two books. Yeah, it was going to be two books. Would be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, but Dr. Stephen Sinatra was one of my beta readers, um, world-renowned cardiologist, author of like 25 books. And um, we talked about this um, and he said he did that with I think it's like metabolic cardiology book or something. And he said it went over really well, but, but this day and age there, the, the line between the patient and the practitioner, what they know is really getting smaller because so many people 
are advocating for themselves and educating themselves. And I know we get a lot of clients who want to understand their genetics and um, want to know why and want to know what they can do and, and, and the science behind it. And so um, that's there. So it's, it's for the average person that just wants to educate themselves. And even if they don't, they don't have to turn to the appendices either, but it's also a guidebook for uh, practitioners to, to be able to, to reference if they have um, a challenging client or they're, they're, they're kind of stuck. Um, it, it will provide practitioners with more and sharper tools for their toolbox as well. Excellent. So whether you are a woman or a couple, uh, having fertility issues, or you're a practitioner, a doctor, a coach, or anybody that works with uh, women having uh, fertility issues, this is going to be a must add to your, to your bookshelf. And I'm, like I said, I, when I, when I read and hear the statistics around infertility, uh, it's like mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for a lot of things, neurodegenerative disease and autism. And like, there's a lot of things that if, if, if you, if you want to get really freaked out, you can go look up the statistics on these things and the arc at which they are increasing. Mm -hmm. And they all lead to a point in the near future where things are going to be unmanageable and um, unmanageable for some of the chronic diseases. And then like not having enough humans for uh, their fertility issues. And so it's really, really important that content like yours and the guidebook you're going to be putting out get get published and get in people's hands because um like we mentioned back at the beginning like women aren't given issue uh, aren't given choices like they're nobody's going to talk to them when they go to their OBGYN and tell them you know oh you might be having issues with this or this or this no it's here's your solutions here's your IVF here's your hormones here's this and um, we need to shift the conversation on on that. And, you know, it starts with people like you doing this work and putting it out there and more women hearing about it. And, you know, social media has been huge for this. I've heard that uh, I, I don't, I'm too old to TikTok, but I've heard TikTok's killing it with women's health stuff and uh, also a whole bunch of other topics. And then, you know, your Instagram is, is a good place to go for content. I see your your videos on there um and kudos to you for making them i know we had chatted about your love or not so love for making videos and now i see a bunch of videos coming out so that's exciting to see so it's uh, at functional fertility solutions on instagram backslash functional fertility solutions on facebook and uh functional fertility solutions.com on the web we'll have all of those uh down below the video or the audio that you're listening to in the show notes so you can click right over and uh, check all that right out. I would get on Jacqueline's mailing list to get updates on the book. And if they have questions, they can reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I would love it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for being so accessible. I know that um, you're really generous with your time and your knowledge. And so don't hesitate to reach out and see if uh, Jacqueline can help you with your issues. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. I Thank always you. enjoy speaking with you. And that wraps up another episode of the Natural Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening. And please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guests and grab your free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit, which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. 
Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.